All right, so uh, I knew when I went on vacation that my preaching week, if I didn't preach last Sunday, which I, I was hoping not to be able to, but wasn't sure I could uh, find somebody to fill in for me, Bruce Baker did and did a great job, and I appreciate him being available. I knew that uh, coming back today that our reading leading up to this Sunday was the last however many chapters of Acts. Well, I just preached Acts a couple of years ago. Well, has it been two years? I don't even know anymore. I think it was like the late winter of, of, of last year that I did it, but it's been, who knows. Um, so I didn't want to go back and rehash those things, and, and so I had decided even before vacation, I was going to go back to last week's reading, the last nine chapters, I think it is, of Romans, 7 through 16. So that's where I went this week, and I landed on the last few verses of chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Now, these words, Romans is the last uh, letter that Paul wrote from the mission field. So these words are, the, are, are Paul's final words from the mission field, and they're to a church that he would soon visit but had never been to. He had no uh, 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 involvement in its planting and, it, and in its starting. He, he saw that from, uh, from a distance. And he, so he writes this letter, it is, like I said, it's the last letter he writes from the mission field, the next letters. And, it, and it, it, let me tell you, if you go and you start reading various scholars on the dating of Paul's letters, you're going to find a lot of options. This is the option that I'm going with. The, the, the scholars that I trust put the writing of these letters in this order. You read somebody else and they're going to say, it came at a different time. You read another person, and they're going to say, well, Paul didn't even write uh, half the ones that, that his name has been given to. And you're going to find all these things. So just know that. But this is the order I'm going with. The, uh, and, and if you look, you, you see, well, Michael, these aren't the last words because there's verses 21 through 27 left. Well, 21 through 23 are, hey, greetings from these people and, and to these people. Uh, or greetings actually from these people, and he had already done that once. This is interesting, by the way. Interesting to read this letter. We know it was recited orally, and he had a, a secretary, uh, it's called an, an amenuensis, write all this down, and, and we get the guy's name. He signed it in verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. We finally get to meet the guy that, that transcribed Paul's letter. One scholar says that it probably took Paul a month to transcribe this, uh, to, to recite this letter and get everything in here that he wanted, and then for the secretary to go back and, and recopy it and edit it and get it out the way he wanted. But what's interesting is Paul gets to the end, gets to the beginning of chapter 16, and he starts his he, he says in verse 33 of chapter 15, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then he starts the greetings and the, uh, the, 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 the award ceremony, basically. I commend to you Phoebe, who's going to be bringing this letter, and, and names all these people, and that's how he ends letters. And then 
we get to verse 17. Something came up. Either he heard about something going on at the church in Rome, some news got back to him, and rather than Tertius going back and rewriting the whole letter, they added this at the end because it, it doesn't fit right right here. As a matter of fact, over the years early in, in our church history, 100, 200, 300 A.D., as they hand-copied this, some scribes just did not like it sitting there in verses 17. They especially didn't like verses um, 19 through 20 uh, sit, just sitting there. So they moved it around in the book, saying, oh, it probably fits better here and, and, or in the letter, and, and moved it around. But we have manuscripts going back early enough that we see where it should have been. And then he ends the letter, oh, yeah, and here are a few more people that wanted to say, uh, hey, Timothy greets you, this is Tertius, Gaius, etc. And then we have another ending, verses 25 through 27. Well, 25 through 27, based on all the evidence, probably was not written by Paul. It was probably added much later. As a matter of fact, if you want all the details, it was probably added by a guy named Marcion who ended Romans at the end of chapter 14. He didn't like chapters in 15 and 16, so he cut them off and had them write a, uh, a new ending that sounded kind of like Paul because it just didn't work without Paul's ending. Paul ended his letters the right way. So, I'm... Standing before you now saying that the last words of Paul in Romans are verses 17 through 20. That's what we're going to look at. The final words of the final letter from the mission field. It would be some two to five years later that he wrote the letters. Again, the next letters, depending on the dates. They, those would be written while under house arrest in Rome. Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, which incidentally will be our connect group lessons starting in September and our sermons starting in September. We'll tell you more about that down the road. But beginning in September, actually mostly beginning in October, we're going to see it start coming together. I will be preaching the same passages we're doing in connect groups. And your reading will be leading up to that every week. We are... Um, organizing, that's not the word I want, consolidating, harmonizing, however you want to look at it, all of our teaching. So those are really his last words, but that's from house arrest. That's from Rome. This is from Corinth, while on the mission field. So he's, he's writing this letter to a newly, somewhat newly planted church, 10, 15 years old probably, that he had never been to. I submit to you today that Paul is writing this letter, Romans, to a newly planted church, us, newly planted in that as we've been going through this series for the last two months, this is a, this is a new thing God is doing. It, it is a new way of thinking. It's a new way of, of existing, honestly. God is doing something new. We are a new seed planted. And he's writing this letter to us, a church that he has never been to, and 
honestly never will attend. So we read it with that in mind, that this is to us. We are the church in Rome. And, and Romans, just to give you a little more background, I, I've told, I told you this when we were going through Galatians. Galatians was the uh, rough draft of Romans. Galatians, he wrote much earlier. He writes Galatians out. Later on, when he writes Romans, writes the letter to the Romans, he expands everything in Galatians. It's, Galatians is almost the Cliff Notes version of Romans. You, you, you can read some passages that are almost word for word, and then he'll have three verses explaining it in Romans where he only took four or five words in Galatians. So that's Romans. It is the, the highest form of, of treatise on Christianity that Paul wrote, and he spent a lot of time, and it is to us. And he says in Romans 16, verses 17 through 20, our passage this morning, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. You hear the ending there. You hear the finality, uh, and then he tacks on, oh, by the way, Timothy says, hey, this is Tertius. Guy has been great to us. And then you have the other ending after that. But as I said, he's, he's responding apparently to something that came up in the writing, or toward the end of it, actually, when the letter was all ready to go, and, and Paul says, Tertius, we got to add this. This is something that needs to be addressed. My final words to them now, to the church in Rome, from the mission field in Corinth, is watch out. You need to watch out. Paul understood the title of our me my message this morning is Death or Growth. At this point in the church's life, both in Rome and in Sulphur, we're, we're at, an, at a point where we choose. Are we going to die or are we going to, to continue to grow? These are the beautiful zinnias that Lacey gave me. Now, there were divisions and obstacles that got in the way of these zinnias growing. Uh, one of the divisions was I went on vacation, and it, I don't think it got watered quite as much as I wasn't great at it anyway. Uh, I would come in and find it dead or dying and go, ooh, I need to do that. Well, after enough times of that, it said I'm, I'm giving up the ghost and, and, and did. There are also other obstacles. Zinnias love sunlight. And they don't just love sunlight, they love the heat of the sun. They're summer flowers, and they thrive in it. And sitting in here in the 72, 73 degrees, getting sort of direct sunlight through a window at best, didn't create growth. It created death. So my, my object lesson that we began back the 1st of May about how the seeds were going to grow and how they're going to be fruitful and bloom and, 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 and beautiful, well, 
only if division and obstacles don't hinder that growth. And if they do, you get, you get death. That's the message from Paul today. Where does the death come? Three very simple points this morning in, in our passage. First, we get death through division. Verses 17 and 18, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them because such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. There are, Paul knew, in the church in Rome, in the church in Corinth, in the church in Galatia, in the church in Philippi, in the church in Colossae, in the church in Thessalonica, in the church that Timothy pastored, in the church that Titus pastored, in the house church that met in Philemon's home. He knew that there are always malcontents in the body. And, and it, it, it blows my mind, and always has, how quickly Paul had to write letters to churches that he had started. Even in Galatians, Paul says, how quickly you have turned away. How quickly I've had to write you and correct you on things. Because we think, I think, man, if Paul had started our church, if Paul had been the first pastor of our church, we wouldn't have all these issues. Yeah, we would. And we know we would. Because Proverbs 6, 18 and 19 warn us this is a passage in, that starts actually in verse, I think it's 14. It says there are six things God hates, seven that he absolutely detests. Verses 18 and 19, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. God knew, Solomon knew what was necessary or, or what would happen and, and what needed to be done uh, against it. Paul repeatedly told his churches to fight against that. Titus 3.10, Paul wrote to, to Pastor Titus, reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. Divisiveness in the church is a death blow. It'll kill it. Just as dead as not watering zinnias, just as dead as not taking care of the seed that is uh, the young sprout that is pushing up through and trying to do what it needs to. They are here, they are there, they are in the church, and Paul says, watch out for them. Watch out for those. He doesn't say if they're there. He doesn't say they might show up. They are. Watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles. But it's not just malcontents in the body. He, he's not just talking to the, and I don't mean this in any negative way, but just the, the average member. He is talking also to leaders. There are malcontents in the body. There are false teachers in authority in the church. Watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. So they're not just 
creating dissension and division. There are those who in the church would teach dissension and division. And the teaching here he is talking about, the the teaching that they learned, is is not tradition. He's talking about Scripture. Those, Those things that you are told to learn... And as a matter of fact, you as church members are told to test me on. If I preach something, if one of your connect group teachers teaches something, it is your job, it is your responsibility, the Bible tells us, to test those things. Michael said this in his sermon, and I don't know about that. And I better be able to back it up. Now, we may disagree on on the interpretation and and what I say, and that's fine, but as as long as I'm not preaching something that is unbiblical or antithetical to the biblical witness, then we can disagree and everything's all right. Y'all, every week, and sometimes multiple times a week, I miss Ted Garner. I don't know how many of y'all knew him. Uh, he He didn't come to church here too long while I was here, but he was a member in the 80s, uh, early 80s, actually I think it was late 70s, and, and then came back uh, soon after I started here and, and came for a while and, and then went with his family elsewhere. But even after he was going with his family elsewhere, I would get a text message. I would get a phone call. Hey, let's go to lunch. Especially while he was here. Let's go to lunch. You said this in your sermon and I don't know about that. All right, let's go to lunch. I get a free meal out of this. And I get to talk about the Bible with somebody who was really interested in understanding why I said what I said. And, and there were times where he would go, okay, yeah, I see where you got that. And there were times where he would say, I just don't agree. That's what it says. I'm like, that's fine. We can, and yet we're brothers. And we would be. And we would leave that meal Still friends, still brothers. And I miss that so much. But he was doing the very thing Scripture told him to do. Testing what I said. Is this a false teacher in the pulpit? Or at the very least, am I wrong? Am I confused? Am I teaching it wrong? Those are something you are charged to check on with me and my preaching and with the teaching of every teacher here because that is as much division and an obstacle to the growth of the church as a malcontent in the membership. Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen that wolves would come in in sheep's clothing. They'll look good. They'll look spiritual. They will look like they follow all the rules and they're a part. But John will later say that they went out from us because they weren't part of us when some malcontents left. So your job as members is to check up on me, but it's also to check up on each other. We'll get there in a second. What else does it say about uh, these that would cause division and obstacles? Well, first, uh, it it also says that they are self-serving. I'm going to skip the command here for just a second and move on. They are self-serving. They do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Those that cause division do so for their own sake, and they are not doing 
the Lord's work. And there are times when division is caused, and it is, sadly, what needs to be done. The, the pruning process sometimes means good folks leave. The, the pruning process sometimes means that a good pastor leaves. In, in a lot of ways, it was he, he preached well, he taught well, but there was a problem and he needed to go. It caused some division. But we're not talking about those things that serve the church and purify the church, the, the pruning that Jesus does to the vines, cutting off good leaves and good fruit sometimes in order to get the best production from the vine. We're talking about personal agendas based on ungodly goals. That's the self-serving that Paul is talking about here. The division that is caused because one or two or five people, one or two or five leaders, the pastor and or the staff have a personal agenda based on an ungodly goal. That is the kind of division that kills a church. He goes on to describe the, the division and obstacles as not only do they serve their own appetites, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. This, is, this smooth talk is smooth, plausible speech. Say things with enough truth in them that because of some confirmation bias, people go, oh, well, yeah, I could see that being true. It doesn't matter whether it is or not. All you have to do is create doubt. You don't have to even explicitly lie. Just say, if, or what if, or maybe. They cloak it in not just smooth, plausible speech, but in pious speech. They, they couch their divisiveness in churchy language. Y'all, ain't no doubt, preachers are the absolute best at that. I can stand up here and tell you, thus says the word of the Lord, and if you aren't very much in tune with what the word of the Lord says, you won't know if I'm twisting it or not. You need to know if I'm twisting it. You need to know if I'm using scripture for a personal agenda. But you won't know that because of a confirmation bias that you might have about me or whatever pastor it is that we're talking about. You will know that when you know scripture well enough to know when I'm using it or the pastor is using it or the teacher is using it incorrectly. We're going to get to that a little bit more here when we know what is good. He says they use flattery. They make their listener feel comfortable with the words spoken. They, they, take on, uh, they, they, they speak to unsuspecting people that aren't expecting to hear that at this moment. And, oh my, uh, that's rather shocking. Okay, and, but did it create some doubt? Did it drive a wedge a little bit deeper? They, are, they have a glib tongue is how these words, the picture of these words give us and deceptive arguments. Peter knew it was going to happen. Peter wrote to the church in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, they will exploit you 
with made-up stories. That's Peter's language. They're, they're wolves and weasels in sheep's clothing. And then the only imperative in this passage is at the end of verse 17. I skipped it, but we're going back to it. And Paul says, avoid them. Avoid them. The only command... Now he says, I urge you. It's not a command. It's, that is a, uh, an active verb. It's just, I, this is what I'm doing. The command in this passage, the imperative is avoid them. Don't give the ones who would create divisions and obstacles the time of day. Either tell them to shut up or just go the other way when you see them coming. See, stories die if there's no one to tell them. If there's no one to listen and no one to repeat it, it dies at the source. These malcontents, these false teachers, are the death of a church. And if we choose to allow them to continue, again, false teachers included, if you, because, well, he's the pastor and nothing I say is going to matter, if that's your attitude, that will contribute to the death of the church. If I am teaching false teaching, you should definitely be calling, on it, calling me on it. Because none of us should be responsible for the death of a church. Certainly not because of our intended or our intentional words but avoid the people because they're the death of the church let the stories die they have only according to paul they have only the good of their own twisted desires in mind they don't have the mind uh, they don't have in mind the good of the church the great commandment to love god with all your heart and love uh, others as yourselves or the great commission of reaching people for jesus when, when folks have, have come to me, and not just here, but in, in the past anywhere, with a list of, of any kind, one of the first things I wonder and occasionally have asked is, where is your concern for evangelism in your list? Where, every, everything that, that, that I'm teaching that's, that's wrong or, or doing that's wrong as a church, as a, a youth minister 15 years ago or, or longer, 20 years ago, where is, and we want these things to go away and these things to happen because we will reach more people for Jesus. Because that's our number one thing. These things will help us love people better and share the gospel more. You come to me with that, I'm excited. I'm excited to learn what I've done wrong that has hindered the ability to love people like God loves us and to tell people about Jesus. I will listen to everything that's wrong with what I'm doing if that's what you bring to me. That's the goal. That is how a church grows. And that leads us to verse 19. Growth through obedience. The report of your obedience. Paul is saying here, don't let 
the divisive and the obstacle builders run free. But that's not what I hear of y'all. This is a warning, he's saying, to the church in Rome. It, it's a warning. The report of you, actually, is, is your obedience. And, it, and not just to me. It's reached everyone. Everybody's talking about the church in Rome. Everybody's talking about how they are doing it right. They are obedient, and they are obedient to God's word. The, the Great Commission says, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Paul is saying, y'all, your leaders, they're teaching you everything Jesus commanded you. Everything he said, you're being taught. This is why I, I struggle with the way we've been doing the, uh, the reading. I've got a fly up here with me. Uh, the reading and, and, and the, the preaching as it relates to the reading because I have to now pick out out of however many chapters what I'm going to preach. I much prefer, muchly prefer, uh, just going through a book because then we get it all. And, 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 and then I know I am teaching you everything that Jesus commanded because this is the word of God, the word of God. Jesus is the logos, the word made flesh. So in some mystical sense, and, and not even that mystical because of the Trinity and the three-in-one nature of the Trinity, these are Jesus' words. So in order for me to be faithful to the command to teach disciples everything Jesus has commanded us, I've got to teach the whole thing. That's why I hate skipping around like this. I think it's been good, but I'm not in my comfort zone. But even though... Even those that knew and studied the truth, though, could be deceived by the divider of verses 17 and 18. That's why the warning's there. That's why Paul says to the Roman church, first, be aware, watch out for those who create division. The report of your obedience has gotten to me. I know that you're being taught the right things. I know that you are being obedient. But even those who are obedient can be deceived by the malcontents and the false teachers. Y'all, this is why we want you to read Scripture before you get to church. This is why we've done the reading program and, and preaching it the way we have. It's why in September we are going to go to an even more focused format where you will be reading through the week preparing for your connect group lesson and then I will be preaching the same passage if not the whole thing maybe part of it don't know yet that uh, that you were taught in connect group we're going to get that three different ways and then we're going to start our I'm announcing this uh, <laughs> probably a little prematurely uh, hopefully Amy doesn't hit me after church um we're going to be starting our D groups back up. We want to continue to meet, and we want to continue to discuss that passage because we don't want to skim over these things and, oh, okay, yeah, we read that, great. We want to dig in. We want to make it internal, a part of us, so that when I get up here and preach a passage, y'all have looked at it at least a couple of times already, and you go, hmm, I don't know. I don't know that that's right. I, I, I always go back to Paul going to Jerusalem against God's will. There's still about half of y'all, maybe more, that don't agree with me on that. All right. That's okay. 
it's not a problem. We can disagree on that. But it's great to talk about. It's great when brothers and sisters get together and sharpen each other and discuss Scripture and, and go to it from a, an educated, and I don't mean seminary education, I mean having spent time in God's Word and praying about it, education, being taught, and hash it out. And go, yeah, I see why you think that and why you believe that and understand what this guy who's smarter than you is saying, but I just don't agree. Love you, brother, love you, sister, and that's great. But obedience to God's word does not mean that we won't sometimes be deceived, and Paul knew it. So we have to be diligent. Verses, uh, verse 18, or I'm sorry, the second half of verse uh, 19 is where we are. Therefore I rejoice over you because of your obedience, but I want you to be wise about what is good and yet innocent about what is evil. Know what is good. Keep doing it. Keep rehashing it. You've read the New Testament once? Great, do it again. You read the Old Testament a couple of times? Awesome, read it again. We will probably, again, surprise Amy, um, we will probably be doing our reading because of the way we do Philippians. That's the first letter we're going to look at. It's four chapters. There are six lessons from it. If you do quick math, you know that reading five days a week is going to end up being a handful of verses or maybe even just two or three verses a day. I don't think we want to do that. Probably what we're going to do is have you read a chapter, uh, chapter one the first week, two, three, four, and then week five and six, probably read the whole book chapter uh, in week five and the whole book in week six. You will end up reading Philippians three times in six weeks. How much better are you going to know Philippians? And, and long after I'm dead and gone, and, and, and you youngins are, are, are now the, the seniors in the church, you, and you hear a book on Philippians, or a sermon on Philippians, and it's just some off the wall something or other, you go, mm-mm. I remember when we read that three times that time and, 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 and Michael preached on it all these times and we had connect group and that's not what they said. You're ready. You're prepared. You have learned it, but you also live it when you know what is good. You weigh what you hear against uh, what, uh, uh, what you hear and what are taught against God's word. And this also includes not just listening to the words, because remember, we can couch it in churchy language. We can do it in a flattering way. We can stand in a pulpit and say it with authority and still be wrong. So you're not just looking at what is said, but you're examining the motive and the goal of what is being said. Why would he be teaching this incorrectly? Is he doing it intentionally or is it a mistake? Well, that's where the conversation comes in. Why would this person be sharing this information or spreading these rumors? Why is this division or obstacle being talked about? What's the motive? And if we're basing it on Scripture, then we're basing it on our only standard. How does that make me feel? The Bible don't care how you feel. At least not about Scripture. The Bible cares about what the Bible says and how we handle situations according to the Bible. Know what is good, Paul says, but be innocent of evil. 
are innocent about what is evil. Don't participate in it. Right? So if the divider comes with division and obstacles, shut up or walk away. Avoid him. Avoid her. Don't tolerate it either. Don't say, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. It is. Division kills a church. And Paul is making a clear distinction between what is good and what is evil. Good can never be evil, and evil can never be good. It doesn't work that way. We are not situational ethicists. Well, as long as the ends justify the means, it doesn't matter what the means are. That's not what Scripture tells us. And if we are steeped in what is good, if we are spending time in Scripture, if we're going to connect groups and, and, and sitting under preaching and going to D groups, C groups and D groups, I've been waiting to say that for months. C groups and D groups, if you're doing all the groups, and those groups are based on God's word, you will recognize what is evil. You'll hear it immediately. Jesus said, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Well, the divider, the one who would cause division and put up obstacles in verse 17, has a completely different construct. What is good to the divider is based on their twisted words and their self-serving goals. They're evil as serpents and they're out to kill the doves. Evil is their foundation and their goal. Paul says to avoid them and you will know it if you are steeped in what is good and you avoid the evil. Obedience to God's word is the soil, water, and nutrients of a growing seed. And anything that would interfere with those things will cause the death of the growth, the death of the seed, the death of the plant. And then in verse 20, God shows up. So Paul tells them, I urge you, watch out for this, avoid them, uh, don't listen to them, this is what they're doing. As a matter of fact, you're doing it right, you're, you're being obedient, you're, you, but continue to focus on what is good and avoid all that is evil. And then in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. God is a God of peace, not division. God never blesses division nor the divider. He never does. It is only a church of peace that grows. Uh, and, and that peace is a supernatural work of God. Peace that passes understanding we can't explain. And that it only happens as the members of the body seek Him. God is a God of peace and not division, and He will deal with the division. The evil of it will be dealt with. That's how, why this verse, this sentence, comes on the heels of discussing the divider. Again, if, if Paul actually added this after the letter was completed and thought, no, I need to put this in here, this is, this is why. This is not unintentional. This is not, is not accidental. Those that sow division will be dealt with by Jesus himself. As a matter of fact, Hebrews... Don't think it was Paul that wrote it. It's okay if you do, but I don't think it was. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And here this verse, Paul tells us, 
that those who cause division will fall into the hands of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. That is not the end. Paul doesn't put the period on his letter and end it. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The grace of Jesus is with us. The church will win. The grace of Jesus is with us to overcome the difficult beginnings of a planted seed. Our church, as we try to grow from this rubble, from this mess, we will miss some opportunities to water. We will miss some of the sunlight that we need to get in order to grow. There will be weeds that come in and choke. There will be pestilences. Lord have mercy, please, no other hurricanes. But there might be. There may be other things that come and try to stunt the growth. But what Jesus says is that his grace is with us to overcome those difficult beginnings of a newly planted seed. You know what? If we as a church are unified in peace, trusting in Jesus with knowledge of what is good and avoiding all that is evil, we could get a hurricane every month all summer and Jesus would still take care of his church and the church of Jesus would still win. It would. That's not me being some pie-in-the-sky optimistic preacher. This is me telling you what Jesus says in his word. The grace of Jesus is with us, not just to overcome the difficult beginnings of a new planted seed, but the grace of Jesus is with us to defeat division and those who sow it. Jesus knows. Jesus loves this church more than you do. Jesus loves this church more than I do. So if Jesus wants to take out the divider, the division, remove whatever is poisoning us, then he will. But it, it doesn't stop there either, does it? The grace of Jesus is with us to save the lost, which is why we exist. Great commandment, love God, love each other, great commission save the lost. And it is only by the grace of Jesus that we can see the lost saved. It is only by the grace of Jesus that we can live an example to a lost world as sinners who continually do things like cause division and cause obstruction and teach wrongly and get things incorrect and, and cause all sorts of problems in our own lives and in the lives of the church, but it is the grace of Jesus that actually overcomes even those things. The grace of Jesus can save the lost, even those that are, as Paul says back in verse 18, not serving our Lord Christ. Paul makes clear, just like he did in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, I think, or chapter 14, actually. I think, I don't even remember now. Where he talks about those who would tear down the church and judgment coming on them, destruction coming on them. Here, it's the same thing. These people are not serving our Lord. They're serving themselves. They are their own Lord. They cannot save themselves, but the grace of Jesus is is enough to save them. And that's the message that blows me away. No matter how bad I am, Jesus has more grace than that. 
No matter how wrong I get it, Jesus has more grace than that. No matter how wrong any of us are, no matter how lost any of us are, no matter how great our enmity and how strong an enemy of God we are, Jesus' grace is greater. No one, no one, no one is outside the reach of the salvation of Jesus Christ by faith, uh, by grace, through faith. The grace of Jesus is with us. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You've never experienced the grace that can save you. If you admit that you are a sinner and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that his grace is enough, your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for all of us and all of our sins. You can be saved. You choose to make him your savior today. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that the grace of your son through your working it all out is enough for us. It is enough to heal divisions It is enough to grow a poorly planted, a poorly tended, a struggling seed. It is enough to save the divider who is intent on self-serving goals and not intent on our Lord Jesus. And God, we know that because every one of us at some point, maybe today, maybe yesterday, probably last week and certainly coming up, each of us puts our goals before the goals of Jesus. And yet, the grace of Jesus is with us. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for your grace on our church as we continue to struggle and claw and fight for whatever it is you have for us down the road, that you would give us strength, that you would continue to give us grace. And Lord, that we would be a church unified and at peace, peace that is not explainable by any words that we can come up with, but a peace that only happens when we, as individual members of the body, are looking to you first and seeking only what is the good of everyone else, the good of your word, and avoiding evil. God, I thank you that you never leave your church. I thank you, Jesus, that you love this church more than any of us here. And there's nothing, not even the gates of hell, that can stand against it. First Baptist sulfur, may cease to exist at some point in the future, actually guaranteed it will at some point. But your church, the church, the big C church, will never fail. Our hope is in you and you alone. 
And that's why we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time, maybe there's something you need to talk to the Lord about. Now's your time to do it. We're going to stand and sing. If you would like to trust Christ as your Savior, and you'd like to talk to somebody, we've got some deacons that will be standing in the back that would love to help you with that. Grab me after the service. If you would like to join our church, become a member of our church, uh, we would love to be able to tell people that's what you want to do, but we have a new members class that you would need to attend before that happens. Maybe you just need to spend some time in the, uh, worshiping the Lord, letting him speak to you. That's what this is about. You can share it on a connection card. You can share it uh, anonymous, not anonymously, but privately through the app this morning. We'll get that as an email. Watch online, comment. If you're watching online, comment. Send us a message. But let's stand. Let's worship. Let's praise the one who is all to us as we do business with him this morning. Thank you.